Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. In this episode of The Next Step, I speak to Frank Versace. He's the Chief Risk Officer at Judo Bank, which is one of the newest banks in Australia here that's really trying to take on the big four banks that have been established for a long time in this market. And they're doing that by having a real focus on small and medium enterprise and bringing relationship banking back to that end of the market that has, in the last few years, become highly commoditized and very transactional. The reason why I'm really interested in this conversation is because of the overlap between the target market that Judo is really trying to serve and exactly the kinds of businesses that searchers are keen to acquire. So I think that Judo is in a unique position to provide great support to searchers and the search fund market because they understand small business, they understand relationship lending, and they also understand the importance of character of the borrower and the impact that can have on the bankability of the lend. So in this conversation, we cover a whole range of things from Judo's startup experience, Judo's vision, their approach to the market, and also Frank provides a really good assessment of what are the things that a searcher should consider when they're preparing themselves for those pre-lend activities and those initial discussions with the bank when they're looking to borrow money for their acquisition. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Frank, for joining us today on this episode of The Next Step. It's great to have you here representing not only Judo, but also small business lending in Australia, because I think that for our audience being those people interested in in search and interested in acquiring a small business, it's great to speak effectively straight to the horse's mouth around what they should expect when dealing with a lender. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here and a really interesting, really interesting topic. Yeah, well, I think that it's something that's still relatively new to Australia. I mean, there have been some people that have been involved in this type of activity for some time, but the volume is still relatively new. So we're a new market. There have been some good transactions done in the last 24 months, and there's only going to be more coming. And I think one of the things that we need to do for this market is make sure that all the pieces of the puzzle are well prepared so that then when searches come, they know that they've got those pieces of the puzzle available. And obviously, as you know, one of those important parts is the lender because the businesses that searchers look to buy are established businesses and they are bankable businesses. And so having the support of a good lender is really valuable. So maybe just you could talk us through, I remember, you know, we would have met a couple of years ago now when you're up in Sydney and kind of kicking off the Sydney office for Judo, which probably feels like a lifetime ago now. Can you tell us a bit about the judo journey and kind of how it came to life in the first place a few years ago and and kind of how it's evolved over the last couple of years? We're five years into the journey now. Well, certainly I am. um, And I was one of the very first employees at judo, which has been a bit of a wild ride. I remember when the co-founders at the time invited me to have a cup of coffee out of the blue and they pitched this idea of building a small business bank that was going to be the fifth major in this particular segment. And I thought they were nuts, you know, with with the strength of the Australian incumbency, you know, the four pillars policy and just how enormous that sector is, you know, the, the idea that you could 
start a bank from scratch and then compete in a meaningful way in the traditional battleground of small business banking just just seemed like a, a bit of a stretch at the time but but it was interesting enough for me to say well I'm going to jump the fence and come over and let's let's try and do it so we started and it was a at that point it was a powerpoint deck you know some basic ideas on how we would build the bank that we all wanted to work for because I think one of the interesting things we all used to talk about is with all of the press and the attention that, you know, customers in this segment have been completely frustrated and growing progressively more frustrated over the last 25 years. The same is true of a subset of bankers inside the banks. And because as, you know, the whole industry has become more commoditized and industrialized and gone down the path of box ticking in terms of how you get your credit assessed or your, your business loan assessed. That's not how we were brought up. You, you sit across the table from a business owner, you hear their story, you understand why their business is unique, where where the risk is, what they're doing with their future plans, and, and you make a commercial decision. You shake hands at the end of it, and either you've got the loan or you don't. And you know, there's obviously a little bit more to it than that. But but that's kind of how kind of how we were brought up. And then all of this, you know, uh, you know, algorithmic approach kind of didn't sit comfortably and it wasn't producing great market outcomes or great customer outcomes. And so from that premise, we we built Judo with the idea that we were going to reintroduce the empowered relationship banker to the SME market enabled by today's technology. So how do we get better information to bankers to make smarter decisions? But ultimately, decision makers are sitting across the desk from customers hearing the unique story a business has got to tell. It's a really important point. I mean, I, I like the idea that judo has in its own right and the people in judo have been on an entrepreneurial journey of their own, right? So then when you're sitting across the table from someone that is about to embark on an entrepreneurial journey, there's real empathy there around what that looks and feels like around business building. That that must make a big difference. Completely. And so whilst I wouldn't say that we understand the full extent of what it's like to be there sort of running your own business day in, day out, but we do understand what it's like to, you know, nearly run out of cash and have to build your policies and your procedures and being, you know, kicked in the head by something you weren't expecting and having to deal with it. That they were things that in the major banks you just never thought about when you were sort of in the middle and upper management echelons of a major bank. You're never worried that, you know, have we got enough capital to get through the next six months until we can get a product to the market and all that sort of thing. So it is quite a sobering experience, but one you learn a heap a heap from. Mm, yeah. And can you help articulate for us, what is it that Judo is ultimately trying to bring to the Australian market? Like, where do you think the gap really is right now and how would you articulate that and what's the approach that judo is taking to try and fill that gap we basically think that the the small business sector has been underserved in terms of the provision of adequate funding to to provide growth capital into the economy and we think that that's that market failure has come about for a number of reasons number one what has happened in the major banking segment over the last 25 years has been that banks have become more and more cost focused and so they've looked to make broader and broader generalizations about customer business circumstances and centralized decision making. And, you know, we're reducing the number of staff that actually interact with 
with business customers. And so you, you're ending up with, if your particular application doesn't tick these five boxes, you're considered uncreditworthy. And if you do, well, you can have the loan. And, and generally, when you're not meeting the individuals who sit behind the business, your bias from a risk assessment point of view goes to, well, what happens if I make the wrong call here? I want to make sure I can get out. And so security has become the first thing a bank will assess. So unless you've got residential or commercial property security, generally your persona non grata at a, at a bank. Uh, particularly in the the lower levels of funding. And so we've looked to reintroduce the profession of banking, which was understand the business. What is the asset you're lending against? And asset can mean a broader category than just property. There's working capital assets and goodwill is an asset that actually has a a more tangible value in some industries than others. And um, there's plant and equipment. And also that your last year's financial performance doesn't always mean that you're going to do exactly the same thing next year. There are businesses that are on a growth trajectory that require working capital to support growth aspirations, for example. And if they're well articulated, they're well planned for, and you can verify them, then that's something that a bank should place some faith in. And all of this has kind of been lost. And, you know, in a way, the the year we've just lived through has kind of brought that to the surface in a in a far greater way because 2020 financial performance may or may not be indicative of 2021 financial performance. And if you've got if if you're basing your lending decisions on a model that collapses if that correlation doesn't exist anymore, you do what many of the banks unfortunately did last year, which is turn the machine off. And so we saw small businesses just aren't able to access funding in the in the in the way that they did. And so to you know come off the long run to answer your question, what what, what we're doing is basically understanding every customer at a customer level rather than creating models at a portfolio level that that overgeneralize. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that really attracts me to the search fund model is the fact that from an investor's perspective, it is around trying to understand the searcher first, like trying to understand the person that you're backing and trying to work out whether or not you think that they have the capability and the conviction and the character effectively to execute on what they're saying they'll do in terms of not only finding a business to buy it, but then leading and operating it and growing it over time. So it's it really is about the person first and then the business second after they then find something to acquire. And it sounds like that's something that Judo is trying to kind of bring back because effectively, like you were saying, that disconnect between decision maker and lend has kind of resulted in a situation where the approval processes within the banks kind of completely ignores the people involved. It just basically says this lending opportunity is a series of financials and those will either pass or fail a test, whereas so much about lending actually has to do with the person rather than necessarily just the business that underlies it. Completely. And if you think about what models do, they're, they're able to, and in some cases, do a really good job at analysing quantitative data. It's the qualitative stuff often in a business that makes the, the real difference though. And, you know, there's you can see a hundred cafes, but you know the great business owners when you when you see them and you understand that the quality of the people, the experience of the people um, running the business is actually what brings the magic to the business. And and so from a lender's point of view, ignoring that is, you know, not something you really want to do. And so we've spent, you know, we, we were brought up on the what we call the, the four C's of lending. You know, so you, you assessed character, capacity, capital and collateral. In the major banks, it's kind of collateral and a little bit of capacity, whereas we think character is 
the most important aspect. Um, and character means not not just is this a good person because you often find that, but are they a good business owner? Do they understand the business they're operating, the industry they're operating in, and do they have the the necessary skills to be able to navigate a business through both ends of the of the cycle? Yeah, I was speaking to a bank in the US in the last couple of months, and they have a division which focuses on search that was built by someone who I guess comes from a similar kind of thought process as all of you guys at Judo that really just thinks, you know, the banking can be done in a better way. And she was saying that it's amazing the impact that a searcher with the kind of capability and experience that they usually bring can have even just on the lending process. So usually if if you have a business owner turn up and say, look, I, I'd really like to borrow some money because I've got these ideas about what I want to do with my business. Quite often with smaller businesses, they might not have had, you know, the, the education or the training or the skills to really pick apart their financials and really look at their projections and really map out how their strategy ties to financial outcomes and those kinds of things. So the banker has to do a bit of work alongside that person to build that picture. She was saying, you know, particularly in the search realm, quite often a lot of that underwriting work is done by the searcher because they actually bring all of that capability and they're actually presenting as if they were a much larger corporate in terms of providing that information. It's a great point. And when you're sitting across the table from a bank, I reckon there's two things going on. You, the banker needs to understand how to speak the language of your business. You know, what is happening here? What are you doing with it? What's unique? Because ultimately we're generalists. You know, we, we don't understand intricately all of the things that a business owner will understand about their business. We, you know, we we learn a lot and we speak to a lot of business owners, but but helping us understand why your business is different, how it's uniquely positioning in its market and what you're planning to do with it is something that the banker needs to be educated on by the business owner. And equally in in reverse, what a banker actually does and how they think through whether this is debt risk or equity risk might not always be obvious to a to a mm. someone looking to borrow. And having that conversation and being able to communicate that in terms that a customer understands is, is sort of what our objective is. And, you know, m- making sure that we're not speaking French and Spanish for the whole time and kind of getting frustrated with each other is is the art form in it. And you're right, those, those more sophisticated business owners are, are really well placed to do that. I love that description, actually. You're right. Like, the banker's trying to learn how to speak the language of the business and the business owner is trying to learn how to speak the language of the bank and that conversation's happening all at the same time in order to come to some kind of common understanding of what reasonable looks like. Yeah, yeah it's um, when you describe it like that, it, we shouldn't underestimate the challenge, right? So it is difficult. I wanted to kind of change tack a little bit around, I'm really keen to understand, I mean, obviously Judo's keen on kind of using technology to best effect. So I wanted to ask a little bit about that. But then almost interwoven into that question, I don't know how you answer this, but have a crack. Almost interwoven into that question, I find it interesting that part of also what you need to do is you really need to develop your people, right? Because you want to leverage technology so you're as efficient as possible, but you don't want to leverage it so far that you become transactional in your relationships. You still want to have your people piece really highly tuned so you can have that kind of character assessment and the qualitative bit that you're talking about for. How are you getting that balance right between leveraging technology and building the capability of actually the people in your team? It's a great and interesting question. I don't know that I'm the best qualified person to talk about technology, but I'm going to give it a crack because it was sort of core to our our whole thesis was that we, we were going to reintroduce 
you know, this 1980s style banker that, you know, kind of had a an esteemed, you know, when you used to be able to go to a barbecue at a banker as a banker and be, not be hold your head but high, <laughs> but you were one. Um, and that, you know, these is when it was a profession. There was, you, you, you studied deeply, you understood a lot about markets and business and different types of risk and uh, how to manage it. And you, they were, they were quite respected um, roles in the community. And then you fast forward and we're, we're in the 2020s. And whilst that was the aspiration sort of theoretically, we, we've got access to a whole bunch of things that provide a better enablement to that relationship banker. The fact that we can that we can ingest financial data now directly into our systems and there's there can be calculations that happen in the in the background that give us better information to have a more informed discussion with a customer the fact that we can be mobile so we we were able to because we want to conduct our relationship on the customer premises because you never really get a feel for a customer's business if you're sitting behind the desk your whole time and you're never interacting so the fact that you know, you've got cloud technology that enables you to log on anywhere, anytime and access a whole bunch of information that just makes you more efficient. So all that sort of thing that is never replacing the relationship aspect. We always want our customers interacting with a human being, but how do we ensure that our bankers, because they're, you know, we're, we're in a regulated industry and there is tasks that need to be done, but that we can do them in the most efficient way and we can give our bankers more time out in the market with customers. The, the the technology that enables that is kind of what we're talking about. It really is still relationship first and then injecting the technology purely for efficiency's sake to support the relationship rather than injecting the technology as a cost management measure. Completely. Yeah. yeah. So there, there, there wouldn't be a customer at, at Judo that goes through the, the entire lending application process and hasn't actually met face-to-face, sometimes in these times face-to-screen Yeah, about their relationship. Who doesn't know what their relationship manager looks like? Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the capability of the people within your team, you know, you're talking about making sure that there's a real understanding of, of business and a real understanding of the various components of the asset against which you're lending. Are you doing a lot of internal training at, at Judo? Like, do you have a lot of that kind of kind of activity going on to make sure that people in in your team kind of are getting those bits and pieces? Absolutely. So in order to bring this philosophy to life, the key point that we needed was great people. The key aspect of our value proposition to our customers was that we were going to put the best quality, highest quality relationship bankers in the market in front of them. And those that hadn't been completely indoctrinated by the way the industry had evolved, uh, you know, to a to a computer says yes or no type mentality and ones that could think independently and understood business. And so part of the rigour of that is through the recruitment process. Uh, as a young company, we didn't sort of have the luxury of a three-year training program where you could imprint them with, you know, the, the judo values and the judo purpose. So we had to go and cherry pick the best bankers in the industry. But and now that we've established our core, it's then how do you let your culture and your capability frameworks sort of breed, you know, continue to develop this group of bankers and, and breed the next group. So it's something we're focused really in, intensely on uh, because from a people viewpoint, if we get that wrong, then then the whole business model fails. So mm. yeah, ca- capability development is probably the key secret in our source. Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing, I mean, changing tack, 
the the searcher that comes to market, particularly in the Australian market, and there's there's a variety of things that they might be looking to buy, both in terms of industry and size and and all of that kind of thing. But if you look at typically where a searcher would end up, it's probably going to be a business with earnings of maybe as low as half a million, but usually a million dollars of earnings up to maybe four or five million of earnings, like that kind of size of business. It's probably got between 15 and 60 employees. It's probably been around for probably 10 years or more. It'll have a relatively stable track record, potentially has plateaued in the last few years because it'll have an owner who has taken it through some growth and then has you know used the last few years to kind of reap the rewards of that growth. But usually a relatively kind of solid basis on which to think about what the business lend might look like. And usually what it'll be is it'll be acquisition funding at, at that point in time as opposed to growth capital. But there'll be you know, a certain proportion of senior debt and then probably some working capital finance and that kind of thing. Sometimes they get some capital intensive businesses that might have kind of capital finance, you know, vehicles, equipment, that kind of thing. But if searches are out there and they're thinking about their business and it looks and feels like that, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about in preparation for a conversation with one of your bankers at Judo? Like, what do you think is the most important things for the borrower to make sure they've got clear in their head when they're coming to that, you know, French and Spanish conversation, <laughs> what's the best way for them to help a banker understand the business as quickly as possible? Yeah, well, well and I might just take a sec to you because I think, you know, you and I have chatted about this before. You've obviously thought about the whole search fund industry a lot more deeply than we as an industry have. And whilst it's a relatively new concept, it's kind of solving a problem that's been around for a while, which is how do you transition business value from one person to another and one generation to another Another often. The market is shifting quite dramatically on this. It used to be a lot of inter-family type wealth transition or, you know, there were management buyouts or whereas we're sort of, we're encountering, certainly this is our experience, a, a generation that's less interested in sort of being the sole person in charge of a, a business and we've still got the baby boomers in control of a trillion dollars of business mm. value that has to transition at some point and we're going to have to as, a, as an economy and as an industry think about new ways of making, facilitating that transition. And so this is a really interesting field. And so we've thought, you know, quite a lot about the question you've just asked. And and really, you know, at its heart, lending is simple in concept. It's from a business point of view, how do I prove the sustainability of the earnings profile and how how do I sort of prove how volatile or otherwise the underlying asset is? And the underlying asset might be the enterprise value in this case, or it might be, you know, the, the assets on the balance sheet. And it's basically that analysis that sort of develops in sophistication depending on the business that determines whether a transaction or or at what point that the debt risk becomes equity risk and it's appropriate that the investors or the the search funder in this case contributes the capital versus the bank. Um, And so, you know, businesses that have highly volatile earnings profiles that are relying on short-term contracts that don't necessarily sort of really fully understand that the the underlying asset value or, or that that doesn't have a particularly strong secondary market in an orderly type sale environment. They're going to be businesses that will make an assessment of to say the debt risk component on this particular transaction is, is relatively low. Whereas if I can prove, you know, the outlook period can be 
reasonably relied upon and that, you know, I'm the right person to run this business. I understand it deeply. I've articulated the risks to the bank and that we can have confidence in the ability for the company to repay its debt, basically. We're much more likely to take a more progressive position. Yeah. And so from a, that, that translation process, then from the, the business owner or the searcher's perspective in, in that debt conversation really is around that reliability of outlook. And that, I think also kind of in the experience that I've had, some people kind of jump to a bit of a binary outcome when they're thinking about that. And they think that it's either fully contracted or it's fully unreliable, but there are shades of gray in the middle there, right? I mean, if you've got repeat customers that might not be fully contracted, that is still a greater level of certainty than a completely disparate set of customers that are done on kind of random projects that come and go. Completely. There are more ways to prove that that you can have some confidence in the business's sort of forward earnings profile that don't involve hard contracts. And and in fact, that's a luxury not many businesses, not not every business has. So, you know, your, your track record, the ability to demonstrate that you've been able to carve out an industry niche, the, the repeatability of your business clientele, like all, all of all, all of the things that would make the business owner comfortable with that should make the banker comfortable with that. If you were buying a business where you had very little confidence that what had happened in the past was going to happen in the future, then you're probably going to discount the the value of those cash flows going forward from a valuation point of view. We, we do the same. The fact that we take on a debt position means we're going to be sort of by definition, more conservative than the business owner often, but that's you know that's why equity owners make equity returns and banks yeah. make you know, interest. So, but just everyone, as long as that that's the the common understanding. But but fundamentally, we're all interested in the same things from a, from a business point of view. Mm. And I don't like concentrating too much on current events and current markets, but but I'll ask a little question on that. What's your view at the moment around, you know, if people are looking at potential businesses to buy and they've got their own kind of rules of thumb of what might be possible, you know, you know, so usually you might think, okay, if I've got earnings of a million bucks, I might be able to get one and a half to two in debt, assuming I can solve all these problems in relation yeah. to kind of reliability and, and earnings mm. forecasting and that kind of thing. Is there anything that you can see in the current market or as we go into 2022 that's having a material impact on any of those kind of general rules of thumb about how people think about debt and what debt availability might be? So obviously we're in probably the, the biggest market disruption of, of a generation and, and there's more volatility in the system than, than there ever has been, albeit there are a lot more known knowns now than there were 12 months ago. So, so we understand a lot more about what it means from a rolling lockdown point of view, which industries are going to be impacted, what you need to do if you're a restaurant owner to get through, you know, a, a lockdown period, what are the levers you can pull, how much government assistance there is. You know, all this sort of stuff is kind of known. And then hopefully we kind of have an understanding of what the path out of this is. But that said, I, I think anyone is going to be, from a business owner making a business purchase and putting their hard earned into business they haven't operated before to a bank kind of doing the same, we're probably going to be a little bit more cautious than we have been in the past. So I think we are collectively going to have to work out what taking a look-through position looks like and 
maybe do one or two more scenario plans than we have in the past. So, you know, what what happens if we don't come out of this in October or November, like through through vaccination thresholds, like everyone's saying, if that goes into March next year, can I sustain that? You know, what what, what are the what are the scenario planning events that you need to be thinking about that I imagine Good, good operators are, are already factoring into their own mental models, being able to communicate that to a bank because, you know, as I said before, we're, we're largely going to be considering the same risks. And if if the outlook period has become a little bit riskier, that presents opportunities as much as, mm. as threats, just making sure that we're, we're balancing them in the right way. Absolutely. I mean, the, the two words you used there that I love the most was one was you said collectively. And so I think that's really nice, you know, thinking that it's less about the bank sitting there waiting for, you know, the borrower to come up with all the answers. It's like, how can we work on this together? And secondly, scenarios, I mean, coming from a risk management background myself, you know, using scenarios properly is a really important skill to leverage at these points in time and knowing that that they are scenarios and provide a range of outcomes to help you understand risk profiles is really important. One last question before we wrap up. If there are people who listen to this and are in the process of either commencing their search or they've made their way through and they might even have some prospects that they're thinking about get, getting to offer stage on, what's the best way for them to prepare for and then engage with your team at Judo? What should they be doing? A lot of the things we've talked about, and I imagine none of this is going to be sort of news flash from a generally with these sorts of things we're talking about, quality business people who, as as you said, are sort of thinking about the SME sector in a way that corporates typically think about the, the corporate segment. And so a lot of the things we've talked about won't come as as news to these sorts of people. And so it's it's then just putting that in a form that's digestible for a bank, re- really understanding the way a bank will think about that inflection point between debt and equity and, uh, you know, really clearly communicating why this is the business that has presented the greatest opportunity, what your plans are for it, and how you've gotten comfortable with, you know, what, what the outlook looks like for that business. Because as we said before, it's it's really demonstrating your quality as a business owner that's going to underpin the performance of the business in the future and being able to demonstrably communicate that to a banker through the vision that you have, the fact that you're being prudent around your risk management, that you've thought through what some of the potholes might be and you've got you, you know, plans on how you might be able to deal with that. And then, you know, presenting that in, you know, in a form that the that the bank's going to understand. Yeah, fantastic. No, that's, that's really valuable. And it's nice to know from the outside in that when preparing that understanding and that translation, that there's going to be a willing audience on the other side. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Frank. Yeah, it was great to chat to you and really insightful to get the perspective from, you know, one of the new banks in Australia and one of the banks that is actually really trying to support this sector. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to connect. 